This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, in the film, The Shawshank Redemption, um, uh, Morgan Freeman uh, brilliantly plays a character named Red. And Red has been an inmate in notorious Shawshank prison for many, many years. And one day a new inmate shows up. It's a guy named Andy who's played by Tim Robbins. And Andy is a young banker, falsely accused, wrongly convicted of murdering his wife and sentenced to two consecutive life terms in this notorious prison. So Andy shows up and uh, Red predicts that this fresh-faced young banker is just going to absolutely fall apart. But Andy manages to survive his first harrowing night in Shawshank. And shortly after that, the two men have their first conversation. And it's out in the prison yard. And after they talk, Andy just kind of casually strolls away. And you hear Red's voice, Morgan Freeman's voice, kind of doing a voiceover and talking about Andy. And he says this. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. He strolled like a man in the park, without a care or a worry in the world, like he had on an invisible coat that would shield him from this place. You know, Christians are sort of like that, in that we live in a broken world, A fallen world, a messed up world, often an evil world. We've seen some examples of that in the news just this past week. We're living in this place that's so broken, so messed up, and often so evil. But but as believers, we can have this, this shield of confidence and peace in the midst of this broken world. And today we're going to see that shield. And the Apostle Paul is going to show us that that shield by asking five rhetorical questions in these verses. And he's going to hurl forth all five of these questions with a sense of bold defiance. The first question that he hurls forth with a, with a sense of bold defiance is this one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you could say, well, Paul, a lot of things are against us as Christians. The world that we live in is certainly often no friend of God's people, and so the world is against us. Our flesh, our sinful nature that we still struggle with is certainly against us. And we have a supernatural enemy, the devil, that is bent on destroying us. 
He's certainly against us. So, uh, the world, the flesh, the devil, they are all against us. But Paul's statement here is not simply who can be against us. A lot of things are against us. His, his statement is, if God is for us, who can be or who can stand against us? Because you see, it doesn't matter how high the deck is stacked against us if Almighty God is for us. And what we've seen over and over and over again in chapter 8 is what? If you are in Christ, God is for you and not against you. I mean, think about who He is. Think about who God is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is God? We've seen in this chapter that if you're in Christ, that God is your Father. Right? As Paul says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We, we, we saw that, that in Christ, that, that God has adopted us as beloved sons and, and daughters of the King, that we belong to Him. As Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Parents, how much do you love your kids? Wouldn't you take a bullet for them? Wouldn't you do anything to protect them? Wouldn't you do anything to provide for them? Don't you delight in giving good things to them? And yet, your Heavenly Father loves you so much more than you love your kids. Because as human parents, our love is imperfect because we're so imperfect. Our Heavenly Father's love for His sons and daughters is perfect. He is our Father. And He is our Father who art in heaven. And that means that He rules, He reigns, He is sovereign. It means that every molecule in this universe is ultimately under His control. And He is our Abba, our Daddy. The One who is sovereign over all things in heaven and earth is your Father, your Abba, your Daddy. You know, I was... was, um, on a walk the other day and just kind of praying as I was walking and I was just, I was worried about something. I can't even remember what it was, you know, it just paled into insignificance when what happened, happened that I was, I'm getting ready to share with you. But, you know, I'm just thinking about these different challenges, you know, and just tempted to worry about like we all do occasionally. Um, and I was just sort of praying and it's like I heard the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, Thurman, what if God were your father? <laughs> and of course, he was gently reminding me that God is my father. And, and if you're in Christ, he's your father. He's your father who art in heaven. He loves you with a perfect love. He, he, he's, he is, he, he, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to this father who loves you. I mean, we have no reason to worry about anything or to fear anything. If God is for us, who can be against us? Second question that Paul hurls forth with this sense of bold defiance in this text is this. If God has already given his son for us, won't he also give us everything we need? Verse 32. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As the the New Living Translation puts it, verse 32, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If I had to pick one verse in the Bible as my favorite, it would be Romans 8.32. The first phrase here, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, echoes Genesis 22 in the Old Testament. Never forget that the Apostle Paul is a Jew. When, you, when you're reading any of Paul's letters, always remember his Jewishness. And remember that he is steeped in the Old Testament. And so as he writes, it's the Old Testament that is just continually flowing through his mind and heart. And the, pa- the Old Testament passage that is flowing through Paul's mind and heart as he writes verse 32, I, I believe is Genesis 22. He who did not spare his own son. That echoes something that happened in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. So, what happens in Genesis 22? God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this command seemed to make no sense. God is telling Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Well, first of all, God wasn't into offering children as burnt offerings. That was a pagan thing. And so it didn't make any sense on that level. Um, but it really didn't make sense because Isaac was the child of the promise. Abraham's descendants were to come through Isaac. And Isaac didn't yet have any children. And so the command to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, just seemed to make no sense on any level. And yet, Abraham, in obedience, takes Isaac with him, goes to Mount Moriah, binds him up on an altar, and raises a knife to slay his own own son, but before the knife can come down, God says, stop. And then God says this, uh, beginning in verse 12. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now what was going on there in Genesis 22? A lot more than meets the eye. That mount on which Abraham looked over, and he sees this, he sees this ram uh, caught in a thicket. 
And so instead of offering his, his son as a sacrifice, God has provided this, this ram, this lamb to be offered as a sacrifice instead of Isaac. And so he calls this place the Lord will provide. That mount was later going to become the city of Jerusalem. And in that place... God was going to provide the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Abraham didn't have to provide his son as a sacrifice because God was going to one day provide his son as a sacrifice for all of us. He did not withhold his own son. In the case of Jesus, the knife came down. And Jesus died as a sacrifice on our behalf. And so Paul is is, is talking about that here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Now he asks something else in the, the latter part of that verse. Okay, he says, since God has done this, since God has given us the greatest thing, his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Now, what he's doing here, he's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. And Paul is saying, since God has already provided the greatest thing that he could provide, his own son, then do you really think that he's going to withhold from you anything that you need? If God has not withheld his own son but gave him up for us all, that then don't you think that God is going to provide for any, other, any need that we have? If he's given us the greatest thing, don't you think that greatest gift includes all of his lesser gifts? Of course it does. You know, Paul says to the, the, the bickering Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, who were arguing with one another about the different human personalities and and so forth. Uh, Paul says to them, let no one boast in men for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. And Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, don't you know what you have and whose you are? You know, sometimes as Christians, we act like people who were raised in poverty. And then we come into a lot of money, but we still act like we still conduct our personal finances as if we're in poverty <laughs> you know we're we're net we're, we're we, we, we were we were we were we knew we spent so much of our life in, in utter impoverishment that now that we have all these, these riches, we can't process it. And we still act as if we're, we're paupers. And God here is saying, don't you understand how rich you are in Christ? The spiritual riches that are yours, all things are yours. And so... God has already provided the greatest thing, Jesus. Listen, He is not going to withhold from us anything that we need. Be at peace. Third question that He asks here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 
33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, the key to understanding the answer to this question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect or God's chosen ones, okay, believers, the key to understanding that question is found in these last five words. It is God who justifies. Now, we talked about justification some last week. And you remember we talked about the fact it's a, it was a legal term. It was a term that came from the world of the, the courtroom. Dr. J.I. Packer says this, To justify in the Bible means to declare righteous, to declare, that is, of a man on trial, that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Now notice what Dr. Packer is saying here. Justification has two sides to it, okay? Many Christians only understand the first side. Many Christians just, they think of justification as, as just forgiveness, and that is part of it. But it's more than that, gloriously more than that. It means that not only are we not liable to any penalty, but it also means that we are entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. You say, but we haven't kept the law. (laughs) We're sinners. But Jesus kept the law. (laughs) He kept it perfectly perfectly. He lived the perfect life, perfect obedience to God's law that we, that we could never live. And on the cross, He died for our sins. And when we trust in Jesus, His perfect obedience to God's law and His payment for our sin debt, it, it's, it's all credited to our account. And so God treats us as, as those who have been declared righteous even though we're still unrighteous in a lot of ways, the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been put in our account so that not only are we free from penalty, but we're also entitled to all of these privileges. In other words, it's, it's like, it's like, that, it's like we're not, not only have we been released from prison, okay, we've been pardoned, right? Released from prison, we're free now, But listen, it's not just that we're free from prison to go out and live life as sort of, uh, uh, you know, an an ex-con trying to make our way. Um, No, it's like we've been pardoned, we've been released from prison, and we walk out of prison and we're awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. (laughs) We've got this perfect standing before God because, you know, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Of Christ and what he has earned on our behalf through his perfect life and through his death on the cross, it's all credited to us. You know, um, there was a detective show, I'm not sure if it was NCIS or, you know, one of those shows a while back, but um, they, military police were coming to arrest this old Marine. And so they come to arrest this old guy and um, just as they're about to put the handcuffs on him and press charges against him. Someone pulls back his jacket and there's the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest award for valor that is awarded in our military. And it was given to him years ago for acts of valor on Iwo Jima 
during World War II. And the military police just stop. And instead of pressing the charges against him, they salute. It's not so much that they're saluting the man who had been a failure in a lot of ways. They were saluting the medal. And what that stood for. You know, and with us as believers, we have to understand that despite all of our failures, that we are covered in the medals. Not any medals that we have earned, but the medals that Christ has earned. Okay, we are, we are covered in his medals. Okay, his achievements, his, his merits, his perfect life, his atoning death for our sins, all of that is credited to us. We wear his medals, and so no charges. No charges against God's elect. Fourth question that we see here. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, Paul began this great chapter, verse 1, by saying what? There is therefore now no, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now he tells us why. Why is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? It's because Jesus is the one who died, who died for our sins. Why is there no condemnation for us? Because our Savior took our condemnation in our place. He took the condemnation that we deserved. He shed His blood on the cross. And he was raised from the dead. He has defeated death in our place. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, Dr. Packer says, justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the exact opposite sentence to condemnation. That of acquittal and legal immunity. Who is to condemn? And then finally, who or what? can separate us from God's love. Verses 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dr. N.T. Wright says this of these verses. Look at what God has done. Look at what the Messiah has done and is still doing even as we speak. Look around and see the many things that threaten to separate you from the powerful love which reaches out through the cross and resurrection. 
and learn that they are all beaten foes. Learn to dance and sing for joy to celebrate the victory of God. The end of Romans 8 deserves to be written in letters of fire on the living tablets of our hearts. Now, in verses 35 and 36, we get a real feel for the persecution that these early Christians were going through, don't we? The persecution that Paul himself was going through and had been through. And he talks about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Paul had been facing all of those things. Many of these Christians in the first century had been facing these things. And many Christians today in the 21st century are facing these things. Remember your brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially in the Middle East, who today are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul here, again, is quoting from the Old Testament. He's thinking of the Old Testament. Verse 36 is a quotation from Psalm 44. Now, in Psalm 44, God's people are being, are being uh, they're suffering. And many times in the Old Testament, God's people were suffering because they had brought it on themselves through their own unfaithfulness. But in Psalm 44, that's not the case. In Psalm 44, God's people are suffering not because of their unfaithfulness, but because of their faithfulness. Just as many Christians in the first century were suffering because of their faithfulness, and many Christians today are suffering because of their faithfulness, because they refuse to renounce Christ. And one of the natural questions that I think we would ask if we were faced with that kind of persecution for the sake of Christ would be this one. Has God forsaken me? You look around, loved ones, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in your own family being tortured and killed. I think a natural question would be then and now, has God abandoned us? Has God forsaken us? Are we separated from his love? And Paul's answer is that nothing can separate you from his love. Death doesn't separate us from his love. In fact, it, it, it ushers us into his loving presence in a way that we've never experienced before. In a way that we can't even conceive of. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has the heart of man imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so, death can't separate us from his love. Nothing in life can separate us from his love. Nothing in the supernatural realm can separate us from his love. Nothing in the present can separate us from his love. Nothing in the future can separate us from his love. Nothing up can separate us from his love. Nothing down can separate us from his love. Nothing at all, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul begins this chapter by talking about no condemnation. He ends this chapter by talking about no separation. Nothing can separate the Christian from 
God's love for them. We will never be forsaken by Him. You know why? Because one day on, on Calvary, Jesus was forsaken for us. There's no separation, no condemnation for us because at the cross, Jesus was condemned in our place. There's no separation for us because on the cross, for those hours, Jesus knew what it was like to be forsaken, to be separated from the Father's love as He bore our sins. He was forsaken so that we don't have to be. That's what the Lord's table is all about. Let's pray together as we prepare prepare to take part in it. Father, we thank you again for the gospel and we thank you for the sacrament that helps us to, to keep the gospel central and that reminds us in such a powerful way that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his finished work for us. We are so easily distracted. We thank you for a a sacrament that calls us back to what is central. The work of Christ, the gospel. And so we thank you for an opportunity uh, to, to be brought back again and again to the centrality of the gospel in the Lord's table. We thank you for the fact that this time reminds us of the the unity that we have in Christ, that the the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we are a family, uh, 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 all 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 the different things that can separate people in our culture, black and white, men and women, rich and poor, young and old. No, we are one family in Christ brought together at the foot of your cross. And we thank you that this is an opportunity for us to, 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 to renew our commitment to you and to confess our sins to you. As your word tells us, let us, let us examine ourselves as we eat the bread and drink the cup. And so, Father, if there are things that are hindering our walk with you. There's unconfessed sin in our lives. If there's something that is separating, uh, our, our, hindering our fellowship with you or our fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ, Lord, we, we, want, to, we want that to be right. We, we don't want anything hindering our walk with you or our walk with, with brothers and sisters. And so we may, may this be a, a time of healthy self-examination as we prepare to take part. Thank you so much for Romans 8. Thank you so much for the promises of the gospel. Thank you for our shield of confidence and peace won for us by the Lord Jesus. Use this time to help us love him more. We pray it in his name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything 
minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.